The Automotive News Canada podcast is brought to you by Diamond Coat. Did you know Diamond Coat has a 96% claims approval rate? This translates into happy customers and repeat service business. But really, you get much, much more when you become a Diamond Coat dealer. Advantages like in-house chemical manufacturing, product fulfillment, bilingual claim support, and a highly experienced team with decades of F&I experience. Visit diamondcoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the April 15th, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today, along with many of his colleagues and counterparts, has questions about the federal government's zero emissions vehicle sales mandate. How will we hit the targets? Will government incentives rise? Will there be enough infrastructure? And what more is needed? We'll hear about all that and more when David Adams, president of the Global Automakers of Canada, breaks down the federal government's 2030 emissions reduction plan and the government's 2022 budget on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. David, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Well, thanks for having me back again, Greg. Appreciate it. Always great to have you on. Um, let's start here. The federal budget came out. No real surprises, I don't think, although I don't sit in, in at your desk. Just kind of tell me how you felt about that budget and about the mandate and, and whether you were surprised, pleasantly surprised, unhappy with it. Just what were your feelings on the budget in general? Well, I think as far as the auto industry is concerned, um, you know, really there, there were a lot, were not a lot of surprises, uh, simply because a lot of the announcements that were made were made, um, in the emissions reduction plan that came out the previous week. So, you know, I think we were expecting to see a little bit more definition around, uh, refinements to the ISA program and the budget talked about that, but just said that there would be more discussion, uh, later on. Uh, so we're still, um, you know, waiting to see what, uh, what transpires with respect to any modifications to the eyes of incentive program. Obviously, I mean, we had a list of the industry had a list of things that we were looking for, um, in the budget that, you know, happy to review with you. But I think if you look at, um, where the government put some money in terms of, uh, critical min- mineral strategy, um, money for, um, you know, growth and innovation. You know, there's certainly uh, billions of dollars there uh, that seem to have been committed to trying to grow, um, uh, you know, clean transportation in, in Canada. But I think as far as dealing with uh, the mandate and um, a pathway to uh, get, get not just the industry, but consumers to where the government wants to go, um, I think more could have been done. You talked about more details to come. That was what jumped out at me because, you know, we saw the plan the week before, then the budget came and I expected more details and now they promise more details. Do you get a sense that the government is listening to the industry? What is that back and forth like? Well, the government has been consulting on modifications to the ISEV program. And, you know, we think that those are necessary because right now, um, there's a cap that, that, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is $45,000 on, uh, on vehicles that would be eligible to uh, receive a, a rebate of up to $5,000. And, you know, while there's 70 plus models on the road, only about 23 of the models uh, that are on the road right now, BVs, um, actually qualify for that incentive. 
And, you know, to a certain extent, it's trying to put um, square pegs into round holes because, you know, as you well know, about 80% of the market is uh, light trucks and sport utility vehicles. Right. And the the vehicles, the EVs that are currently on um, you know, on offer in the marketplace, I um, mean, we're, we're seeing some migration, but they still tend to be um, perhaps smaller vehicles, sedans and that sort of thing, and not really in the wheelhouse of where consumers are purchasing vehicles. So, um, you know, those vehicles, when they do come to market, are going to be more expensive. So, you know, in an ideal world, we we like to see the, um, uh, certain, well, a couple of things, the incentive amount increase um, and, and also the uh, the MSRP cap increased as well. Um, you know, I think it's particularly important to see the incentive uh, increase, which it doesn't look like at this point that the government is contemplating that because, um you know, between the ISAP program coming into effect uh, and uh, where we sit right now, you know, the government has um, has put in, uh, suggested they're going to mandate uh, the set, and they've actually made the targets more stringent. Um, you know, we were sitting at uh, requirement from 50% um, EV sales by 2030, and then under the emissions reduction plan announced uh, last week, it, uh, or on the 29th, rather, it's... Uh, that's gone up to at least 60 percent for uh, by 2030. So, um, you know, the targets keep on getting more stringent, um, and you know, we we think that uh, the government needs to be there to support um, those targets and you know more aggressive targets that they're setting. Right now, incentives are at five thousand dollars maximum, depending on make, model, price, battery range. There's a whole host of qualifications that you need to meet. Um, sure. You, your organization, and I know, I believe it's the NDP and some others have called for $15,000 in incentives. You want to triple that number. How does $5,000 or $15,000 compare globally? What is sort of the average? Is 5000 below the average and 15000 above or is 15000 the global average? I just wonder how we stack up. Well, sure. If you take a look at the jurisdiction that um, you know Canadian provinces or Canada likes to compare it with uh, itself to uh, California, the uh, the incentive amount there is, is seven thousand dollars, and then there's uh, also uh, federally in the United States there's a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit, which is slightly different than a you know obviously an incentive at the point of purchase. Um, but um, the U.S. had contemplated under the Build Back Better bill. Um, putting in place a $12,500 incentive, which, you know, would equate once you do the currency conversion to about $15,000 Canadian. You look at jurisdictions around the world and they have a mix of incentives and, um, and also measures that uh, would, for instance, strip the, um, the value added tax or sales tax off of uh, EV purchases, which is, something you know we haven't really looked at here in Canada and some jurisdictions have also added an extra incentive if you um, you know if you scrap uh, an, an ICE vehicle and purchase a, um, uh, a ZEV you not only get a ZEV incentive but also an extra incentive for um, uh, from scrapping a uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle you know out of looking at global jurisdictions oddly enough I think I don't know if it's still the case but um, at least a year ago and uh, the article that I saw, Romania seems to be one of the most uh, robust jurisdictions offering incentives of 10,000 euros um, for uh, for vehicles. So, you know, there's, you know, around the world, there's still um, uh, obviously uh, incentives are still viewed as a necessary tool to um, 
to have consumers adopt uh, EVs and to bridge that price gap between a nice vehicle and a, a zero emission vehicle. Does the message need to be clear that incentives aren't here forever? Is that something that the general public needs to know? Because I think some people might say, well, why should I pay for someone else's car? Or we've heard Doug Ford say, it, why should I offer an incentive to rich people who can buy a Tesla is essentially what he said. But do folks need to know sure. that these aren't here forever? Um, or are they here forever? What would you like to see as as an association? Well, no, I think um, we've always been clear that um, incentives aren't uh, here forever and they, they don't need to be here forever, but they do need to be here um, until we get, you know, far closer to price parity in terms of, uh, um, you know, price of a, a ZEV, which is still uh, not just a few thousand dollars, but in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars uh, more expensive than a, a nice vehicle. Um, uh, and then, well, when will that happen? I think it, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, various, um, you know, assertions that have been made in terms of when we're going to see price parity, but I think there's general agreement that that would be by the end of the decade. I think um, the commitment that was made in the budget, going back to the budget, is that the government was going to refund um, the uh, the ISEP program to the tune of $1.7 billion, uh, and that's out to 2025. So that's probably still short of when we're expecting to see price parity. Um, so unless that program gets, uh, again, refunded again, we would probably still be in a situation where, um, you know, we, the uh, ZEV vehicles will be more expensive than uh, uh, an ICE vehicle, for instance. The Global Automakers of Canada, along with the Canadian Vehicles Manufacturers Association and the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association, are all sort of together uh, on this issue and and in how they're dealing with the budget and the suggestions and the consultations. One of the things that those groups have talked about is aligning ourselves more closely with the U.S. when it comes to things like rebates and like incentives and like regulation um, and we have that already with safety-related regulation and fuel efficiency and sure. fuel economy to some extent. Why yeah. haven't we been working more closely with the U.S. on this? Or are we and we just don't hear about it? Well, I, I think there's certainly dialogue going on. But I think on the face of it, you look at it, uh, well, I guess up until the targets were changed with the emissions reduction plan, both both Canada and the United States had the same emissions reduction, or sorry, the, the same um, target for zero emission vehicles, having 50% of the, the vehicles sold uh, be zero emission vehicles by 2030. Um, as I said, the emissions reduction plan up that to at least 60%. But, you know, we had the same goal, but we don't have the same mechanism. So, you know, the U.S., as far as I'm aware, isn't considering anything like a national zero emission vehicle mandate to mandate uh, vehicle manufacturers to um, to put in place, um, you know, uh, sales volumes for uh, for zero emission vehicles. So, um, you know, we I think we've we've uh, been most successful uh, as a North American. Um, jurisdiction when we've had aligned regulations, as you say, on safety um, emissions and and some of the other um, affiliated policy areas there. We'll be right back after this short break. Diamond Coat has been a leading F&I provider to the retail automotive industry. For over 50 years, our philosophy hasn't changed. 
For us to provide the best products and services, we need total control over every part of our business. From R&D to manufacturing to claims administration, we do everything in-house. We are committed to introducing the best quality products to the market, and recently, through our partnership with Kix Global, we're able to bring the Kix Locate Theft Recovery System to dealerships across Canada. This covert device can be used within your dealership to track, maintain, and safeguard your assets. No wires, no monthly fees, just full protection. It's this kind of commitment that has made Diamond Coat Canada's most trusted warranty providers for all automotive dealers, manufacturers, and customers. To find out more about our new anti-theft products and programs, visit diamondcoat.com. That's diamondcoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Welcome back to the podcast, where I'm speaking with Global Automakers of Canada President David Adams. The government has also committed to building 50,000 charging stations to support this transition to ZEVs. Right. Your organization and the others that we mentioned would like to see 4 million, which is closer to the optimal number and why? Because I always look at things and go, you know, somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Is, is 4 million really what we need or is that sort of the high end? Well, I think that's derived from uh, information provided by the Canadian Energy Regulator. And if you look at um, sort of a standard ratio of having uh, one charging station for every 10 EVs, that's how you, you sort of get to the 4 million number. But I think even if we look at... Um, uh, if we look at just doing the math for for 2030, um, you know we're looking at potentially needing at least 400,000 uh, charging stations to meet the requirement by by 2030. And you know we can say, well, 50,000 sounds like a large number, but but compared to what? Um, you know when you when you look at the number of vehicles, just doing the the math in terms of what the government's uh, targets are, um, that certainly drives a much higher number than than 50,000. And I guess, you know, the argument could be made, well, is it just the government's responsibility to put in uh, charging infrastructure? Well, no, there'll be other players, but um, the government, I think, needs to be the, the largest player in terms of encouraging uh, this infrastructure build out. And I think the other reality, Greg, is that, um, you know, that this, uh, this has to be fun and loaded too, that, um, you know, to reach the, the government's targets, we need to have shovels in the ground on the infrastructure right now, because, um, one of the things that will, um, uh, well, if, if it gets done, encourage people to, to purchase the, uh, Zev is, um, you know, just having the knowledge that, oh, great, you know, I, there are signs along the highway. I know where I can charge my EV if I'm going up to the cottage or if I, you know, want to take the kids on a cross-country trip across Canada. I, I have some confidence that I can can do that and charge my vehicle quickly and, uh, you know, just know that, uh, that that's uh, a possibility. But if they don't know that and that's not clear and we don't have this front end loaded and the charging infrastructure built out, it's just one more barrier to a greater consumer adoption of ZEVs. Your organization and others have uh, commissioned um, reports and surveys and studies. And one of the things that always comes back is um, more education is needed um, in terms sure. of letting the public know what an EV can do, um, how much range mm -hmm. you have, you know, how to sort of use the incentives that are available. Is there enough mm -hmm. in the budget and enough being done by the federal government to educate the public on what they're trying to accomplish and how it gets done? 
Was that an element missing in the budget, some spending on education when it comes to letting the public know about EVs? Yeah, I think under budget 2021, there was more emphasis perhaps on, on the educational component. And, and, you know, in fairness, there is some, uh, some good work being done um, through uh, Natural Resources Canada in affiliation with um, other organizations that are developing educational materials. I don't think it's ever enough, and you know it's everyone's responsibility. I think to um, uh, to participate in the education of consumers because uh, you know people people don't know what they don't know, and um, you know I'm always surprised that the uh, you know, the, the surveys that say, oh, well, 80% of Canadians would consider purchasing, you know, uh, an EV. Um, well, yeah, they consider purchasing it until they, uh, again, get a little bit more educated and understand that, oh, it's it's more expensive. And, you know, the, uh, even though there's an incentive, it might not cover off the differential. And, you know, even though I can save money over the the long haul on the vehicle, it's still going to cost me, you know, $200, $300 more a month to finance or lease the vehicle. And, Oh, I, I have to charge the vehicle someplace too. And, um, I don't have a lot of confidence at this point that, um, I know exactly where or even how to do that. So I think, you know, I always take those surveys uh, with a grain of salt because, um, you know, if, if everybody that said that they were going to purchase uh, an EV or consider an EV did so, you know, our uh, our penetration rate would be a lot higher in Canada than 5.6% of sales, right. which is where it's right now. Uh, last question. Uh, not many of your members um, even make or, or sell fuel cell vehicles, but the government is committed to hydrogen fueling infrastructure. Where does mm-hmm. hydrogen fit into all of this how big of a piece is it well it's um it's going to be a piece how big a piece i think remains to be seen i think hydrogen generally is probably where um evs were maybe you know 10 years 12 years ago um both the federal government and the ontario government uh, i think just last week announced a hydrogen strategy so Hydrogen is um, is going to be uh, a player. How big a player it's going to be uh, remains to be seen. But I think the real application for hydrogen is in more in that commercial and heavy duty sector as opposed to the light duty vehicle sector. Um, you know, Toyota and Hyundai, two of my members, have uh, fuel cell vehicles. The um, the Nexo for uh, Hyundai and the Mirai for Toyota. Um, these few vehicles have been deployed. Um, you know, with some actual consumers uh, and very small volumes though. And then, you know, whatever the tens or twenties of units uh, across the country. But, um, you know, I think that ultimately the real play for hydrogen is going to be in the commercial and heavy duty space. Um, you know, the, the ability to, um, uh, you know, fill a vehicle quickly, um, you know, centralized depot um, ability uh, in terms of getting, uh, you know, much, much larger range uh, for the vehicles. Um, all of those things, I think, are, are appealing and uh, would contribute to a commercial heavy-duty application more so than a light-duty vehicle application. David, always great to have you on the program. I appreciate your time. Well, thanks very much, Greg. Anytime. I want to thank David for being my guest this week. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. 
That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.